Welcome back to Killer Fun. This is Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad you're back with us today. We had asked you guys last time to send us in your hometown crimes, your hometown murders. And um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about how I kind of came up with the idea of talking about this. Now, obviously, there's a very famous podcast, which I'm sure all of you know, My Favorite Murder. Um, If you don't, it's fun, but not for delicate ears. So I was on a trip with my mom, and we went to a wedding this past August for my niece. That was really fun, but we were in Northern California, where she lives. So, or she, my mom doesn't live there anymore. She lived there growing up. So we're driving because my mom's 79, doesn't drive anymore. I do all the driving. That's safe. Yeah, it's it's better. (laughs) Really, it's better for everybody. So we're driving along and my mom's, you know, reminiscing and telling me about all the different streets that she recognized and who lived on what street and yeah yeah it's all that nostalgic history but it's hard to relate to because yeah I mean it's like oh that's you know it's something to talk about in the car ride I it's not that I don't care because it's interesting but like I don't know who any of these people are yeah I get the same reaction when I try to tell my kids about stuff and they're like oh that's great mom yeah but you're like but you should know this this Uh, is my life you know my history yeah yeah so it's fine, you know, interesting enough, but you know, and it, I'm just like, oh, good. This is probably good for her brain to remember on these things and whatever. And so we pass one particular area. I don't remember exactly where. And my mom just starts chatting and she goes, oh, um, there's this girl I knew in high school. She was really wild. She was a drinker and real promiscuous. And I always wondered why she was so sad. She was the first person I ever knew that was murdered. <laughs> like hold the phone uh, yeah, yeah I'm like wait okay there's a lot here to unpack in that one sentence how many people have you known that have been murdered that's the first question <laughs> that that was my first question that was my first thought yeah it was like how many people do you know who've been murdered she was like well okay she was really the only person i knew who was murdered She's, I knew about, about other people. Like there were other people like in her orbit, people that she knew growing up or whatever that had been murdered, but they weren't people she knew well. She maybe met them. Okay. So this is basically the first murder that was personal. And the first murder happened to be personal that Uh, she heard of. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this, there's this lady, um, Marsha. Marsha? Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Oh, I'm so sorry. It was so cliche. But how can you resist? (laughs) My mom's friend, Marsha, was actually her older sister's age. So she was three or four years older than my mom. And my aunt and Marsha went to high school together. Okay. It was after she'd already graduated high school. My mom was still in high school. Marsha was murdered. So I was like, what's the deal here? (laughs) Tell me more about this. Okay, so now that we've we've determined that you're not surrounded by people who've been murdered that I didn't know about, and we'll leave the why didn't you tell me this sooner question for later. (laughs) I'm like, tell me a little bit more about this. Trying to be all casual, because my mom's not like super interested in 
like this kind of stuff. And you're like, well, all of this other nostalgic history is really super awesome, but this is actually interesting. Yeah, so this please is the one I want to hear about because interesting. So she told me that this girl got involved with a guy who couldn't handle criticism very well. And this was the late 1950s, and he certainly couldn't take criticism from a woman at that point in time. Ooh. And he ended up strangling her. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. My, my mom went on, you know, oh, she was awful to him. She was so mean. And I don't know why she was so sad or why she was so angry. And I'm like, okay. But she didn't deserve to die, right? And my mom's like, oh, no, of course not. So we're going to give my mom, who's 79, a little bit of a pass. And the whole slut-shaming, you know, beleaguered gentleman, nodded so much a gentleman thing. So I'm like, this is interesting. All my mom knew was her name was Marsha, and she died in the late 50s. So. I did a little research. Of course you did. Of course I did. And God bless whomever has put the Healdsburg Tribune from the late 1950s on the internet because all the information that I wanted was there. Isn't that so much better than like microfish? Oh, oh, you know, well, because nowhere local would have had the microfish. I'd have had to have done the research while I was there. Oh yeah. And we were there for a wedding. I didn't have time to go do the research. Right. You can't hijack like celebrating a wedding to go research murder. Yeah, exactly. Like it's been fun. I, I got some copies to go make. No, oh, that's how it used to be done. I mean, well, exactly. But, you know, it also, yeah, maybe you would travel that far and stay longer than a long weekend, which is how long we were there. Truth. Anyway, so this man, Victor Clement, was 24, and he murdered his wife, Marcia Dewey Clement. So they had gotten married. They had gotten married. Okay. He was 24, she was 20. They, I think they'd only been married like six months or so. So the first article talks about that he murdered his wife and that the sheriffs went to go arrest him. And right before the sheriffs got there to arrest him, he shot himself in the chest four times with a twenty-two. Wow! Hold on, I gotta process this because he shot himself in the chest. Yeah. Four times. Yeah. I mean, I get that a twenty-two is not big. You know, it wouldn't be the gun I chose because, well, I just wouldn't want to miss. Uh, yeah. If that were me, that's morbid to say. But, yeah, you know, yeah. there's a reason you choose a bigger gun. Um, but uh-huh. on a 22, like, first of all, that shows you something. Not the right gun to choose because you had to do it four times before you even died. He didn't die. What? <laughs> he didn't even die. See? He ended up in the Sonoma County Hospital under 24-hour guard and was doing fairly well. I can't speak to this. I'm just, I'm floored. <laughs> I'm just I know. floored. I know. I'm like, this is, it's awful, but it's also fascinating. It's fascinating. Yes. That it's he didn't a, die. He didn't die. And the quote that he gave to the sheriff was, she was fooling around with truck drivers because she worked at a wait, as a waitress on Highway 101 which is one of the most beautiful highways in the entire country because it goes right along the coast. It's lovely. This is like near the end of it, um, up in Northern California. And they said, the first article says he was taken into custody. He was going to be taken into custody as soon as he was well enough. It's like, interesting. 
Next article, not very much. Victor pled not guilty. Would you like to guess why? Insanity. Yup. <laughs> of course. Of course. I'm like, hmm, okay. And then we have the article about what happened, which actually was super quick. He murdered her on March 31st, and he was at trial having his decision made on July the 3rd. Wow. Yeah. That's and really fast. Really fast. Just a really small fast. town? Is that why? Is it because... I mean, it was a small town, but I don't know if that's why. That's I don't know if they just... I don't know, man. He was found guilty by a six-man, six-woman jury, which I thought was interesting that they put that information in the article. And the judge uh, sentenced him to the term prescribed by law... Which is, does not seem harsh enough to me for murder. Um, a maximum penalty of 10 years in state prison and a minimum of one year. What? Yep. And the first part of his sentence, he was being sent to a prison reception center in Vacaville where he would receive psychiatric treatment. Which I'm like, okay, maybe needed. Maybe needed. But, hmm, interesting. So the the article reads, the highlight of the four-day trial was the testimony of four psychiatrists who described Clement as emotionally disturbed on the verge of having a split personality. Two of the psychiatrists said that Clement was not able to form a specific intent to kill his wife, and the other two said he was able Defense psychiatrists said that Clement was in a fugue state, which I think those are pretty rare. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Just like Walter White in Breaking Bad was not in a fugue state. Not in a fugue state. He's probably not in a fugue state. Anyway, he uh, acted automatically motivated by unconscious emotions. Clement got on the stand. Always a mistake. Yeah. Just 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 call a spade a spade. You don't, if you're, you murdered somebody, don't get on the stand and talk about it. How much you loved the woman you just killed. He did talk about how she would come home drunk in the early hours of the morning and then verbally assault him. Like, that's a reason to kill her. Anyway. I sigh. I don't know if, I don't know if everybody can hear my sighs. I'm sighing. Because there's so much to process here. Because I, I feel like, yeah... Mental illness. I am, you know me. Everybody yes. knows me now. I am yes. big about the whole take yes. care of the mental illness thing, right? Um, but when you use it as a crutch to to get out of responsibility for mm-hmm. your actions, seems. But I will mm. say that sometimes people who are in psychological prisons with somebody who is mentally, emotionally abusive can snap. Yes, they can have not a fugue state, but they can have a have a rush of emotion that then blinds their other self-control impulses. And so that is something. That's what the whole insanity defense kind of stands for, is that those moments, there are moments, not, I shouldn't say that. It's not the whole thing. But a good portion of them are these instances where people's emotions are so ratcheted up by some kind of tragedy, some kind of building issue that then they enter into and they do something outside of their character. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, oh, well, I, I don't know. I don't think he meant to kill her. I really don't. I don't yeah. think that, I think he was angry with her. He may have been drunk. She was definitely incapacitated in some way and shouldn't have, he was trying to keep her from leaving, going out, like, late at night. 
So, you know, maybe manslaughter. Maybe manslaughter. Yeah. Yeah. Which... I can I can understand that. Yeah. So, and then the, the two other interesting things about this particular article was that they named that there was a member of the jury from Hillsburg, and they named him. Why would they do that? I don't know. That seems so random. It's, well, I mean, I guess because it's the... Because it's Hillsburg a hometown. Tri- it's, yeah, Healdsburg Tribune. So they... But I'm like, shouldn't they keep the, like, who the jury members are, like, private? Well, I you know, jury members can come out and speak. Well, yeah, afterwards. but, I mean, do you put their name in the paper if they haven't, like, come forward? Oh, I don't know. I don't Maybe know either. It seemed interesting. And then the court-appointed attorney for Clement was uh, Francis Pasalacqua, which is my mom's family. She was related to the Pasalacquas. No. Mm-hmm. Well, now that's an interesting twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, a very interesting twist. Yeah. Well, you know, I keep going back to this whole six woman, six man thing. I, this article was what, written in 50, 58. 58. Mm-hmm. It occurs to me that at that time, a man being persecuted, prosecuted, not persecuted. Yeah, no. And he felt persecuted by his wife, and he was prosecuted by the state. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. That's it. But I have a feeling that at that time, uh, it may have been of interest to know that men convicted him. Yeah. And that also, that they put women on the jury, that women made it to the jury. That would have been some sort of progress at Uh, that time. It seems like it. You know? um, So, you know, I asked listeners, and in a couple groups I'm in, that if anybody had a hometown, we just got... uh, couple in i'm gonna read one this one's from holly thank you so much holly for sending this thank you holly yes so i'm just gonna read it um i come from a from the epitome of small town usa i hail from the seaside town of Mapoisit, Mattapoisit, Massachusetts. Oh, Mattapoisit. 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 Are you familiar with that? A little bit, because I lived in Massachusetts for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. All right. The most exciting things that ever happened in the tri-town of Marion, Rochester, and Mattapoisit, in my opinion, aren't ever really widely discussed or known. Back in November of 2009, during my freshman semester At a Westminster Choir College in New Jersey, I got a call from my mom. It was very early evening, and I was finishing up dinner with a few friends in the dining commons. She said that our neighbors, Joseph and his wife, Shirley, Joseph was 78, Shirley 74, on the next street over were both found dead in their home as an apparent murder-suicide after the wife didn't show up for a bridge game with her 50-year-old daughter. They were an older couple who always handed out Halloween candy and were very pleasant when you walked by their home. The husband was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and due to his increasing confusion and decreased lucidity, he strangled his wife in the bathtub and then hanged himself in the basement. How sad, right? awful. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I have so many questions, but that's awful. It is It is awful. I, I probably don't have the answers, but there's, there's a little more. She has her own connection to this. So fast forward to five or six months ago. She was in a local jib- Jiffy Lube waiting for my car to get done. This guy talked to, was about my mom's age and his friend, he and his friend come in and start making coffee. The first guy starts making small talk with me and I'm just thinking I'm going to be followed home and murdered. Because, you know, that's how some of us think. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He kept saying that he recognized me. 
After hearing he was from my town, I decided to ask him if he knew my family's name, and he did, and come to find out his in-laws were the couple, Joseph and Shirley, on the next street over from my childhood home. His wife was the daughter that was supposed to play cards with her mom and then found their bodies. After explaining to this guy I grew up on the next street over, he understood my fascination with the case. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So I feel like she's implicating this guy that maybe it wasn't a murder-suicide. She's saying, well, she's saying, I just knew I was going to get followed and murdered. And she has like this thing. I think it's like a reactive personality. I think it's just like, you know, some people just are always expecting to be followed home and murdered if... You know, somebody takes a strange interest in them. You know, and this guy's probably just trying to be nice. Like, you look really familiar. Well, of course she looked familiar because when she was a child, she was around the corner from his in-laws. That's interesting. I don't think I often have that feeling that I'm just going to get followed home and and murdered. No? No. Well, I don't either, but I'm also not... I don't automatically go there with strangers. There's not a lot of stranger danger in my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel threatened most of the time. Most of the time I don't. Yeah. I feel like annoyed. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, oh, you got an interest and now you're going to yap my ear off and all I want to do here is sit and play on my phone. Like, yeah. shh. Yeah. 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 Like, shh. Yeah. It's just like on the airplane. Like, I always try not to be that, like, annoying person. But, I mean, I'll chat with people on the airplane if, like, like everybody seems amenable to it. Yeah. You know, like, you have to kind of read the room. And, you know, if you hit it off in a certain way that you start chatting. But mm-hmm. mostly it's me and my headphones and yeah, leave me alone. Most of the time. I've got other stuff that I really want or need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I try to work on airplanes, but I get kind of motion sickness. And so... Yeah, I gotta um, be careful. I don't get air sick so much, but if I start reading, you know, a book or something, mm-hmm. I can read on my Kindle. Oh. But I can't read, like, a book book. Really? I don't That's know why. interesting. Huh. I think it's because a Kindle you can hold with one hand, and maybe oh. I can keep it steady with my eyes, mm-hmm. whereas a book is a little harder. Like, you yeah. all already have a lot of movement when you're trying to hold a book, and then let alone an right. airplane. But... I just so. this uh, this well thank you Holly I'm yes. happy that thank you shared you, that I don't mean to implicate your your person but <laughs> it just kind of sounded like you're throwing this guy under the bus maybe like he was like culprit here I don't know but that's so awful like the murder suicide and like that's oh, just so and the, sad. oh it's so sad because my father in law had Alzheimer's and it was re- it was really like sad and heartbreaking but he was ne- I was never I never felt like I was in danger so that's good my grandfather had Alzheimer's also um, really he did get violent and they had to put him in a nursing home to to deal with that because he ended up being aggressive towards my grandmother who was you know not able to really defend herself defend herself um it's so hard it's so hard to know when the right time to do that is and to put them in a place where they'll be safe and hopefully happy Mm -hmm. and it was hard because he was happier in some ways but on the other hand he he gained some of those paranoid delusions that come oh. with Alzheimer's as you get older mm-hmm. um, and further into the disease process. And so he ended up being paranoid about the government oh. and thinking that they had microchipped him. Oh. And so oh. we had to play along with the delusions because it's the only way you're going to talk to him. And well, that was kind of actually fun. I, 
<laughs> yeah. I would go to I visit imagine, him and so. we'd search his wheelchair and ah, feel his arm. And no, bless his kind heart. kind of fun. Bless his heart. Yeah. Oh, so. as long as he wasn't cutting himself, I guess. He wasn't. They wouldn't give him any projects. <laughs> but, you know, it was interesting because um, he would go there and there's a there's a bit of a philosophy that's growing and in, in, in this radical acceptance. The fact that that to try to tell them it's not true doesn't really help. Just right. go with him in the delusion. Actually, that seemed to make him more comfortable. Oh, yeah. He just needed to be believed. Yeah. And then he'd, like, let it go and then end up talking about other things. Oh, you that's know? good. But he also thought I was his daughter because I looked just like my mother. Oh, and so yeah. he, um, he always thought he called me Bonnie. Because by Aww. that time, he didn't know me as and the you grandchild. Just, and you just let it go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was Bonnie, and we were searching for microchips, you know? <laughs> As you do. I, like you do. You know, but yeah, it was good. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So now we each have a murder for one another. We do. So this is kind of exciting because neither of us know what our murder is. Yes, we did not okay. share. We did not share. In I'm fact, a little nervous. Oh, it's going to be fine. I took some time. I didn't know what to choose. Okay. You know, like, and I was, here's what I was nervous about. I was nervous about choosing something that was like too soon. Like, oh, oh, we can't talk about that yet. And so I, it took me a bit, Yeah, but I I stumbled upon something fun, I think. Okay. Fun. Okay. Fun. Yeah. It's not the right word. In so much as some murder can be fun. Uh, It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, It's fun. It's interesting to talk about. It's fascinating. Interesting. All right. So you told me you wanted me to go first. I want you to go first. (laughs) I have the story of the butcher of Elmendorf. Also known as the Bluebeard of Texas or the Alligator Man. Wow, three names. Mm-hmm. Not many have three names. <laughs> well, this guy's quite the piece of work. So there's a little town just south of San Antonio called Elmendorf. And it was basically founded by the Ball family. B-A-L-L, Ball. They're very wealthy. They had eight children. Six of them. Grew up to be really great leaders in their community and all around good people. One of them I have no information about. And the other one was Joe Ball. He was not one of the six good kids. Oh. He was he was not good. So the few people that were old enough to remember Joe Ball, who were still in Elmendorf, remember him as both disagreeable and unpredictable. Always a good combination. AKA right? antisocial. <laughs> oh, no. Not antisocial. Not at all. Um, so, by most accounts, he had a pretty normal, happy childhood. And then he went and joined the war effort during World War One in 1917. He returned home in 1919. And people said he came home a different person than oh. he left. Which is, you know. PTSD. Yep. Uh, yeah. When he returned from the war, rather than making an honest living like all of his siblings were doing, he found it easier and a lot more profitable to sell bootlegged whiskey off the back of his pickup truck well, during you know, Prohibition. Because I, I can't blame them for that. Because well, I mean, I whiskey. Mean, I mean, he could make an honest living uh, now. Well, yes. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how craft it was. Well, I, I I don't have any information about. Was that. it really whiskey, or is it just like dressed up moonshine? I know. That's my <laughs> Which now in moonshine's like this. It's business. totally trendy, and yeah. they have a lot of different flavors. Mm-hmm. It still kicks it's your rear end. Oh yeah, well, 
Prohibition ended, and he used family money to purchase a little tavern called the Social Inn in Elmendorf. Like, oh, okay, good. Turning his life around, becoming an honest businessman. So, that's fine. Then he met this woman, and they hit it off. Her name was Minnie. Aww. Aww. She was very large and very mean and not afraid of drunks. Oh. Yeah. But they hit it off because they were both kind of mean and both kind of large, I think. Well, and I don't know how, up. like, large. I don't know. Maybe she was tall. I'm kind of thinking, like, she's a good I think. I think maybe... I'm thinking maybe, maybe she was. She a, wasn't afraid of like drunks. She was totally gonna take care of herself. So that's a good match. She yeah. owns a tavern. She can take care of yeah. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, they became business partners and fooled around on the side. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. And then in the mid 1930s, after the great Dep- during the Great Depression and just after, there were a lot of transient people passing through Elmendorf because it's on the way down to the coast. If you're driving south of San Antonio, blink, you're going to miss Elmendorf. It's like one small sign. Yeah. And then pretty much done. It made for really good business because a lot of people were passing through. And so they had need of a lot of waitresses because the waitresses would stop and work for a while and then they'd move on. Maybe. So they'd work for a few months and then they'd be gone. Joe had a reputation with the waitresses who were kind of transient. And Minnie didn't really seem to mind that much because they were temporary and she was not. She didn't care if he fooled around with them on the side as long as she was the main chick in his life. Okay. Well, Which, I, can't, I can't identify with that. Yeah, I, I, I can't either. But, but you know, so whatever, yeah, whatever works for you, that's totally fine. The tavern had, you know, the usual trappings of alcohol and a player piano and things that were common in the early 1930s. And then it had some more illicit entertainment. There was some cockfighting that happened. And there was a pit of alligators in the back. (laughs) So instead of having like a dance floor in the back, you know, under the trees, hit an alligator pit. Well, now this is very interesting. I feel like they just painted the tavern from like the Dark Tower series. Yeah. Remember the tavern and the on the little town on the road? Anyway, well, if you haven't read the Dark Tower series, go read it. But yeah, like I'm picturing that right now. But alligators. Stephen King didn't come up with that one. No. No. Um, so everybody get getting drunk on a Saturday night and then they'd head out back and they'd start feeding like small animals and stuff to the alligators. <laughs> Like they didn't feed them all week, so they'd be good and hungry on Saturday night, and it would get a lot of people. So, in the spring of 1937, Joe fell in love. Dolores was a waitress, and Joe was mad for her from the start. And Minnie did not like this at all. She made some kind of threat to Dolores. We're not sure what it is, but she was threatening towards her. And in the early summer of... 1937, Minnie disappears. What? Uh Uh-huh. So, Joe tells everybody that, quote-unquote, slutty Minnie had gone down to Corpus Christi to give birth to a mixed-raced baby. But, you know, she just forgotten all of her stuff. She left it all behind. No. Yeah. Yeah. She's a forgetful pregnant. Prego brain. Yeah. Right. right, right. That must have been it. No, because you're nesting at that point. And so, even if that was true, well, it sounds like a really bad lie. mm, 
Yeah, it does. It does. So because Joe was a ball, his story was believed. And he and Dolores married at the end of the summer. Shortly after they are married. No. No. <laughs> oh, just wait. We're not, we're not there yet. Oh my gosh. Almost, but not there yet. So at the end of the summer, after they're married, Joe tells Dolores, his new wife, that he doesn't need to worry about Minnie coming back and making trouble because he murdered her. Oh my God. He tells her this? Yes. Because he wanted to put her mind at ease. Oh, well, that, that's so nice. Uh, isn't that kind? That's so you kind. You want to put her mind at ease. Don't worry, she's not coming back because she's dead. Oh, they... There's so many better lies he could have told. <laughs> I mean, all he had to do was just shove her into the alligator pit and then be like, oh, she fell in. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's oh, a shame. It's bad that I'm coming up with lies for murder. <laughs> Really not good. I should well, work on that. Well, you know, I mean, this is why people get caught. Well, do you ever watch TV and, like, people are telling lies and you're like, no, uh, that's not the right lie to tell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're going to lie, be smart about it. <laughs> like, you're going to get caught. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> it's, this is transparent. I can see right through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dolores, understandably, kind of shook up. And so she confided in another waitress named Hazel. So like, oh good, she's like getting some help with this. Good stuff, right? Maybe. No, because Hazel knew that Joe murdered Minnie and she still took up with Joe, even though he was married to Dolores. Uh Uh-oh. So Joe kills Minnie, Joe marries Dolores, Joe starts sleeping with Hazel. And Hazel knows. And Hazel knows that Joe killed Minnie. So now this poor Dolores has confided, and now it looks like she's a problem. Mm-hmm. Dolores disappeared in April of 1938. Oh. Not long after she lost um, a, an arm in a pretty terrible car accident. There were a lot of rumors that went around that said that, she, you know, Joe got mad because he was unpredictable and mean. And cut her arm off and fed it to the alligators. But that wasn't true. It was a a car accident. It does seem, though, Dolores was not murdered. She left Joe and didn't tell anybody else in town, went to San Diego to live with a family member. So she got out. She got out. She got out. She got out. But would you like to guess who disappeared next? Hazel? Hazel. Congratulations. You win the very awful prize of being right that Hazel disappeared next. So in September of 1938, a Latino man went to San Antonio to the deputies because it was the San Antonio Sheriff's Office that also served Elmendorf at that time and complained to the deputies that Joe Ball had a stinky barrel that had been behind his sister's barn. Oh, 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 Mm -hmm. oh. He said it smells like something dead inside. So the deputies went to go check and the barrel's gone. And so they questioned Joe's sister, whom owned the barn that the stinky barrel was behind. And we finally have our first hero. She corroborated the Latino man's story and said there was, he did, he was keeping a barrel and it did stink. Oh, well, I'm glad she said something. He came and moved it. Deputies found Joe, and because 
a lot of women have gone missing from this area. It's assumed that they had moved on because they were transient waitresses. Oh, my goodness. Um, They wanted to talk to Joe, and they found him, and they told him, a lot of women have gone missing. We really need to take you from Elfmendorf to San Antonio to question you properly. Interrogate. That's what that is. That's not question. There's a little patriarchy alert here, though, because Joe asked that he be allowed to go back to his tavern, close it down, and have a beer before they went. And they said yes. Oh! oh. Oh, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, we do not let the potential murderers go back to their establishment and close it have a beer first. Yeah, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Boys club at its worst. So Joe pours everybody a beer. Uh, they're sitting there drinking, and he's still standing at the cash register. He pulls out a gun, shoots himself in the heart. No. Commits suicide, dies. It wasn't a twenty-two because he... It wasn't a twenty-two. No, so that's two stories today where people shot, shot themselves. themselves in the chest. So one of them was successful, one of them was not. The deputies end up talking to a man by the name of Clifton Wheeler, who was occasionally employed by Joe. They took him in for questioning and learned quite a lot. What did they learn? Uh, The stinky barrel contained Hazel's body. Oh, I knew it. And that Clifton had helped her dispose of it. What? What? Clifton helped with this? Clifton helped. Uh-huh. He, well, he, were, he was a black gentleman in the early 1930s oh. near in South Central Texas who worked for Joe Ball, who the Ball family was well respected. I don't think he felt like he had a lot of choice. I got it. So Tracking. But he was not blameless because he had actually witnessed the murder of Minnie, whom Joe shot on the beach in Corpus Christi, and then he helped bury the body, which they later found because they buried it really deep in the sand, and I guess it was pretty well preserved. Which 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 beach? Which beach? Some, no, we don't know which beach. She's long gone from there. They ooh, dug ooh, her ooh. up, and it's gone. It's well, because you know, my I have a condo in Corpus Christi. It's not on near. The beach. It's north north of Corpus Christi. I think it's but, not. It's not. You're near your condo. I'm sure. But I'm on North Beach. No, no, it's like not in Corpus Christi. You're just near telling Corpus me that? Christi. It's north of Corpus Christi, but, not okay. in Corpus Christi. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah. You know what? I'm just going to accept whatever you're saying right yeah. now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. There's no bodies buried but near actually, your condo. That would be kind of fun. Put it on my Airbnb. <laughs> Come find where Minnie was buried. <laughs> That's so bad. People would be like, uh, No. You might, some people are going to be no, some people are going to be totally in for it. Who knows? Some people are going to be like, draw me a map. I'm right? going to follow like, it. Gonna make it, a, make it. it a scavenger hunt and give me clues. But they found the body, so it's not there. They anymore. found the, the body. She's long gone. Clifton Wheeler may or may not, it's really depends on what source you're looking at, have helped Joe cut up other bodies and feed them to the alligators to dispose of them. But there were not human remains found in the alligator pit. Well, they eat everything. Well, this is kind of where I'm at. And his estranged wife, Dolores, called him a very sweet man, which I'm like, 
I don't know that sweets may be the right term, but she didn't seem to think he was capable of it. Despite the fact that she knew he had murdered Minnie and that he also had murdered Hazel. And she's, you know, again, like, like, uh, Ola, Victor, Victor Clement, you know, she made excuses. He only did it when he was driven to it. Oh, crime whatever. You have a choice. You don't need, you're not driven to it, I promise. No. Well, she, you know, I wonder if part of that is just her needing to rationalize that her decision wasn't that bad. Yeah. But I applaud the decision to leave. Yes. So, I mean. Yes. So, you know, whatever she needed to do to sleep at night, whatever, man. So we know for sure that there were two victims of Joe Ball. At least. At least. At least, there may have been upwards of 20 who became alligator chow after they became pregnant. I keep thinking about this fact that it was a transient place and that people would move on. Uh And that really does sound. And I'm thinking, that seems like an intentional serial killer to have like an alligator pit. It's just, it's too planned. He is considered one of the first modern serial killers. Because he had two victims and possibly many, many more. And Clifton did end up serving two years in jail as an accessory. And the alligators were sent to the San Antonio Zoo. (laughs) Don't worry, they're long dead too. (laughs) I know, but they're kin. I look at their kin and I'm like, oh, hello. I hope you, you're not like the Peter Pan alligator and alligator. still have a, ten, a penchant for human flesh. Alligators actually eat anything. Because, you know, I'm from Georgia, and so mm-hmm. lots of alligators. And and uh, went to school in South Georgia in the Okefenokee Swamp. You can actually go to the Okefenokee, and you can do this whole tour, and alligator tours. And there's alligator mm-hmm. crossings like where they like to walk, you know? And so my husband, coming from, you know, outside of New York, came down, and we went to the Okefenokee, and... And he was like, there's not fences. There's not fences. The alligators just walk free. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they walk free. They're wild animals. They're That's free. like saying the deer walk free. Yeah, the alligators like, walk free. They're scary. And I'm like, they're lazy. <laughs> they're lazy animals. And so we're walking along and this alligator's just walking across. And he was just freaking out, you know. But then you can get on the boat, you know, and there's a big stick on either side just in case. But you go through the you know, through the swamp and look at alligators. And they had Oscar. Oscar was a old, old, old alligator. And he was so huge. And so you'd go out there and they'd like bang the boat and be like, Oscar! (laughs) Throw some snacks. Oscar! And so slowly, and you could tell Oscar's done this a lot. He kind of slowly comes up. And you know how you can personify the thoughts of an animal? Yeah. He'd come up and look. And the look on his face was like, another tour, another day. (laughs) Hello, people. Where's my snack? (laughs) And then he'd go, and now he is, he he passed away. So they have a finite life, especially when they, all they eat are snacks and don't have to find their own food. Right. But that's the Butcher of Elmendorf. That's so interesting and scary. I know. And it's a long time ago, so it's not too soon. Now, these are not the same balls who make, like, the dogs. I, I have no idea. I don't think so, but I don't know. It's just not a name you hear often. No. I don't know that the, like, the mason jars are made by a family company or if they I don't started, know, because it started with ball and, that, you know, know, ball jars. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. Hmm. 
I have no idea how they made their money, but they were very wealthy. And Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. He should have learned about acid before he started putting them in barrels. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. If only he had watched Breaking Bad. Yes, so you have a hometown murder for me. I did. So like I said, I'm from Georgia. Yeah. Now I grew up mostly outside of Atlanta, but okay. Atlanta's still kind of a hometown. And and I chose an unsolved murder. Ooh. Ooh. It's an unsolved murder from 1879, oh, the DeFore family murder. Yes. And so you can look at this creepy picture and we'll have to post this Ooh, online. Yeah. These people look so creepy, but it's just because it's an old, old photograph. Yeah, and they're, the, they're old and not smiling because you couldn't smile in the right, so 1879. It's, it's kind of creepy, but um, they were rumored or known to be extremely nice. Oh. So this family, they moved to Georgia and took over the uh, Montgomery Ferry. So this is the ferry that crosses the Chatta- Chattahoochee. And so, um, you know, they're there running their little business and they're living in the same home that the Montgomery's lived in and built to run this ferry. And so they had a great name in the community and they changed the name to the DeFore Ferry. Um, in fact, there's still DeFore Road. And so Atlanta cool. still has some remnants of this family, but they were uh, an elderly couple and at 6 o'clock in the morning on July 26, 1879, Martin Walker passed his grandparents' home and noticed they weren't awake. Oh. And that was odd because they had normally been awake. So he went to investigate and found them dead in their bed. Oh. oh. Brutally murdered. Oh, what an awful thing to find. With an axe. Oh. And mostly decapitated. Oh. Horrible. Oh. Horrible. The community said... They had not known an enemy in the world. So who? Who could have killed them? I don't know. Right? Um, So they were brutally murdered in their bed. The axe was found in the fireplace covered in ashes and blood. So the murder weapon was still there. Now, this axe belongs to Martin Walker. Okay. there was a family that lived in houses around. Okay. So he had been there, and that's where the wood pile was that they were all using. So this was his axe. But, but it, it was, was the communal woodpile. Yeah, that's just where he left his axe. So the murder shocked the nations. The New York Times ran it. Wow. Right? Okay. Um, it was one of the first big murders. It was an unsolved crime. And so this was like a big, big deal. And so the New York Times ran an article under the headline, An aged couple murdered, found dead in their beds with their throat cut, no clue to the criminals. So several suspects were arrested and questioned, um, but nobody was ever ever prosecuted for this crime every even even a person who came forward many years later and confessed and they figured out there was just too many holes in the story wow so it's just crazy now robert understand like why false false confessions confessions. like i guess just attention attention or trying to protect somebody but most of the time they don't know like who actually did it they just i guess they want attention well speaking of transients They had assumed that was likely some transients because at this time across the ferry, this was a big uh, pathway across that southeast area. And so you would get callers. Can I stay the night? Well, so this happened a lot, but it happened so much at the DeFore house that they had started saying no because it was just trouble. And so a couple of transients had been turned away. Oh, the night before. Okay. Um, and there was evidence that it was two people that had committed this crime due to some footprints. One barefoot, but one with shoe. So okay. there were certain that maybe it was two. Okay. Um, 
So wow. these transients are the ones that eventually confessed, um, but they did not. They, they didn't was, do it. They there was too there many was stuff they didn't know. So it's likely that these transients were looking for a, a meal. Okay. Getting into prison would have actually provided them a meal and a bed and shelter. Oh, okay. um, and so... Um, well, that makes sense in the 1870s. Right. I don't know about today. I don't but. know about today. Although that does <laughs> but, okay. still happen. So here's what's interesting. Robbery was ruled out because Martin DeFore, uh, the the father, the grandfather, his wallet was taken, but $18 in silver was untouched. Okay. Hold on to that. Hmm. Nothing else was missing from the house except for Martin's boots, which were found in the woods not far from the house. Weird. Weird. Okay, so they took his boots and then abandoned them. Took the boots, Did abandoned them. they decide they, didn't, they weren't comfortable by the time I they guess. Had to- well, that people asked. Well, was it that he tried to run away with the boots? There was a barefoot mark, so maybe he the person put on the boots to run and then figured out they don't fit. But this whole area was a campsite. So there was alongside uh, the seeds and uh, rinds of watermelon. Okay. And there seemed to have been a camp where these boots were found. So okay. somebody had run and camped and then left the boots and ran again. And so it was like, what in the world is going on here? How did they camp that close? Exactly the question. So you're okay. like, who steals boots and then camps outside of the woods in- you know, yeah, right like outside. stones throw from the house makes no sense. But the wallet, okay. So the money in the silver, in this, it was nickels that was not touched. But the wallet had been taken, and there was one thing in the wallet of note. Mm, what was that? Promissory notes, oh. IOUs. Huh? Who were who? who we don't these? know. We don't know who owed the money. We don't know who owed the money. We know nothing of the mm. promissory notes. I'm wondering if perhaps the person whose name was on those promissory notes might have been the murderer. That's what I'm thinking. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, look into the promissory notes, but there's no way to tell because this right. is so unofficial. Right. But they knew that there was promissory notes in there. Okay. So how did they know? Um, Do we know? Do we know how they I knew? don't know how we know. No. Okay. I don't know how we know. Um, it, it's just noted. Okay. Those promissory notes. Um, I guess Fair. probably the rest of the uh, the family might have known about yeah. keeping he the kept, promissory he notes. He his promissory notes in his wallet. Right. Like you would cash. Right. You know, kind of thing. So um, if they're asking, well, what was in the wallet? Well, promissory notes. That okay. was it. He ran a business. He could have been taking yeah. promissory notes from clients who couldn't pay to cross the ferry. Or, right. You know, or not. had it, Or had an agreement with them that, you know, they would, Some, he, they, he, he would give them so many crosses in the ferry in advance and they'd pay him, you know. Right. It like a bill at the end of the month, kind of. But exactly. Before they we don't know that. We don't yeah. know. But there's another aspect of this crime that's kind of creepy. Okay. Oh, more creepy than their heads almost being chopped off in their beds? There's clues that suggested the killer or killers had been hiding in the house before the murders took (gasps) place, and we don't know for how long. Oh! oh. In the upstairs rooms, signs pointed to recent occupancy, including human excrement in the adjoining lumber room. The bed had been slept in, and bare and muddy footprints were found on the windowsill. There was actually a muddy print of a body from laying on the bed. They wow. had slipped in uh-huh, previously through, through yeah. a window, slipped and they had the mm-hmm, and they Ooh. had used some, you know, uh-huh, the facilities and well pots because yeah, that's at that point. what it was. So yeah. there were some pots, and they had in the closet done their business in the pots, and so we don't. They seem to think that maybe it was just the night before, but the amount of living in suggests that maybe they were there for longer. 
Oh, wow. So they might have like, they might have only killed him because of, because they got caught. Like they might, maybe they'd been living in there for a little while, like unused rooms that they were wealthy and older. They no longer had children living in their house specific. Yeah. Walking upstairs. And and there was a whole section that you had to get to um, via a ladder. So they would not have climbed this. I mean, this was an old, old house. I mean, this was... The house was built long before 1879. I mean, it was... And they were not um, super wealthy. Kind of gives the impression because they were local businessmen and all of that. um, You know, the family and and all of that. But actually, they were of average... It was a small farmhouse type situation. Um, But yeah, so it was a two-story, quote-unquote... But there was it was a loft, and so there okay. was a bedroom that nobody had used that did have some stairs, and then a loft up to the oh, lumber room. Anyway, okay. so that's where the window was is up at the ladder. Oh. That's where the window. So they would have had to come in through that window and then climb down the ladder to get to the guest bed. That's where then also the closet would have been. And so what's wow. interesting is the New York Times drew out a whole schematic. What? Yeah, they drew a schematic. That's All a right. lot of real estate in the New York Times. In the New York Times. And so also in the Atlanta's Upper West Side, this um, this newspaper too. So you can kind of see, um, it's very interesting. They drew this out and it's a horrible little drawing. It's really like awful. I mean, you know, we're so used to good graphics. This doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't even Well, okay. So count. I guess they had to, it wasn't like somebody could draw it. They had to figure out how to draw this with their typesetting. Basically. Yeah. They had to draw Weird. it with typesetting. Okay. So it's all straight lines and labeled A, B, C, D and with a little thing. Uh-huh. Um, it's very interesting though to look at this old newspaper and yeah, the DeFore murders were in the news for a while and it was a, it was a cold case. It was at a standstill. People were shocked because how could we not catch this person? Right. They did this awful thing. How do we not? So uh, the family was not looked at as suspects. um, Because why would they need to break into their own grandparents? I mean, it was Martin Walker's axe. I mean, it was the son-in-law's axe. But uh, apparently they they passed muster. They were not not, uh, uh, thought of. Um, So if you go to Reddit... There's oh, Reddit. Reddit always Reddit. has a theory. You've Thanks, gotta, Reddit. And actually, it's interesting because I thought, this sounds like a serial killer. Because this is too much of a, a modus operandi going on here with the mm-hmm. axe. You know? It's too planned. You know? So, um, other people ask, why wasn't the grandson ever a suspect? Um, other people said, I imagine transients. Finally, somebody said, the promissory note. Who was the promissory note from? I would definitely look there. Once a promissory note is destroyed, lost, stolen, there are ways to force the payer to give the payee another note. A dead payee, though, could make it harder to require payment of the note. And so I'm like, you're on my track. However, somebody else commented, got me on a different rabbit trail. This is actually similar to a few attacks that occurred in Texas and Louisiana. Train routes pass through all of these areas. So we're thinking maybe it was a transient, but it was a serial killer. Serial killer transient. So this is an unsolved murder. In fact, the public outcry continued for months and years after the killings. It was in 1883, nearly four years after, that a newspaper declared the perpetrators of the dastardly deed caught. This man named Joe Johnson. Because only in 1883 can you use the word dastardly. The dastardly deed. I love the alliteration. Uh-huh. Um, Joe Johnson confessed to the slayings, uh, claiming that he and two other men had committed
committed the murders, but these are the ones that that were let go. They said, no, this is not. The the confession collapsed under police scrutiny. Um, And each fresh clue in the DeFore case led to a dead end to this day. The brutal DeFore family murder remains unsolved. There is a historical brochure. So if you go to the DeFore Center event venue near Midtown. So this is like, you know, Midtown and the Buckhead area, like all of this area over there. Um, It's just off DeFore Avenue. Um, There's a little little brochure, a little thing. (sighs) And so the homestead is gone. They've rebuilt around the area. But at this place, uh, the brochure tells of a female ghost that is sighted there. (gasps) Oh, Um, Miss DeFore. It's Miss Susan DeFore. So they've named her Miss Susan DeFore. It's interesting, though, this couple. They were buried in a single grave. The DeFores? Really? They were buried in a single grave. Okay, was that for romance or economy this is what it says in part on the marker it reads lovely and pleasant in their lives and in their death they were not divided father mother here are sleeping near fair georgia lovely sky while their own loved Aww. So, because they were murdered Aww. together, they, it says in the uh, newspaper article Aww. in the Times that they were found that the husband was facing his wife, Aww. and so they had been in bed together, and so they buried them together. Aww. Very sweet, very oh, brutal. That's super brutal. Well, how do you like? How do you do that to two people? I don't understand. I it had surely it had to have been more than one person, right? Well. Because I don't know how you incapacitate... This brings up another murder that I chose not to talk about. Oh, really? <laughs> you could tell You could tell us a little bit. So, in my actual hometown <laughs> uh-huh. of Lilburn... Okay. When I was in middle school... Okay. When I uh-huh. was in middle school, there was an axe murder. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, somebody you knew? Mm-hmm. Well, so the football coach for Parkview High School, <gasps> Chuck Mize, oh, I think you've mentioned this to us, was once killed by his son with an axe. Now the mother survived, but was was attacked. Oh, so this man was a community pillar, taught karate. I mean, he was known. So, um, but the the coach himself, he was also, I mean, renowned, like well respected, amazing family. Totally took everybody by shock. I mean, and so they had to announce this in school. They put out counselors and everything else. And it was so brutal. Yeah, it wasn't just patricide. It Ugh. was like an axe murder. And it was just wow. horrible. Um, so Channeling his inner Lizzie Borden, I, I guess. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. And so what's interesting about this, though, is that they were a younger couple. Now, he's a football coach. His wife was, you know, fairly athletic from what I understand. Um, but it occurs to me that this elderly couple would have been too... Too much. It would have been too much to fight off. Right. In fact, the autopsy showed that there was no defensive wounds on this couple. And so I thought, well, it could have been one person because can you imagine what would happen mm-hmm. to the wife if he did the uh-huh. did the first. deed on the husband first and she just thought, that's it. Yeah. I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to live anymore. Here, I'm living. Hmm. And so it could have been one individual hmm. because... You know, so it was interesting. And so it kind of brought up a lot. So it brought up this hometown murder at Lilburn, but it's kind of like too soon. Yeah. It's too yeah, soon. You're not ready to like, so, yeah. um, and it was, it was really hard and, and Ooh. all of that, but I thought they slept together in the same bed. You know, that's kind of, that wasn't that odd for that day and age. Oh, I don't know. So I looked it up. Was it? No. And that surprised me. Uh, you know what? I know why you 
think it was odd because Lucy and Ricky uh, from I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. They weren't allowed so to sleep in the same Dick bed. And Dyke. Yeah, all of them, and so it's a TV thing mm-hmm. that perpetrates this. But also in the middle because, ages, because that would be inappropriate. It would have been for, inappropriate for a married couple to be com- fully dressed in their pajamas in their bed together yeah. on camera. You couldn't yeah. see that on camera. So, um, but you know, back in wealthy. Uh, you know, medieval times and even before and after, right. now they people had their, had their own, own quarters. Right. Um, so actually, it is stemming from something that was of truth at the time, but um, I did read a few well, articles. This was a romantic couple, the divorce. Yes. They were a romantic couple. So often, like the wealthy kings and whatever, they were not, mm-hmm. it was a marriage of service. Right. So yeah. it wasn't so. Yeah. Yeah. But it brings up the question. And so I looked it up and it turns out that actually if married couples who choose not to sleep in the same bed, if that's good for their sleep, it's good for their sleep. And there it is recommended. Yeah. It's not bad for a marriage. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, that's interesting. But, you know, apparently women are more disturbed in sleep than men. Yeah. Like we had to be told that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and so women are more disturbed by like the snoring and whatever. So it does say if you're a woman and you need to go and sleep elsewhere, just do it. Yeah. Just so, get up and do it. You're not going to damage your marriage. Yeah. It was an it. interesting little rabbit trail uh-huh. that kind of went down. Uh-huh. So there's some information out there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, National Health Institute. They're all like on this. Like they've done studies. Really? They have. They have. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very so cool. That's my hometown murder. Awesome. I love it. Oh, it's I'm sad course. that we don't know who did it, but it's so much fun to speculate. It is very interesting. Ooh, see, and now I'm curious as to how it's similar to murders. Where else? In Texas and where In else? Louisiana, where and there Louisiana. Were yeah. Now, the New York Times did mention the fact that the murderers being able to get into the house without being seen notes that they understood the DeFore's routine. Some people feel like they might have lived there longer, but um, if they got in the night before and was just staying for like a night before yeah. the murders, right. well, they would have known when the DeFore's were out of the house because they did everything on a schedule. So it would have been very easy to observe, oh, this is when they go milk the cows and then be able to get in because it wasn't a fancy house. Right. So it wasn't something like, okay, we could be in the East Wing and nobody's going to hear it in the West Wing. You know, they would have heard all of this. So they had to be out of the house when these people or this person got into the house. Wow. So it begs the question, was it a serial killer who observed a target that is scary. That is scary. It's scary. There's been crazy, creepy people around forever. 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 They've always been crazy, crazy, creepy, scary, homicidal people. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I, I was reading about this whole thing, and I'm, I'm thinking, it took us a long time to start really understanding serial killers and understanding all of this stuff. I mean, as good as they did. I mean, you could see in the newspaper, they really did investigate. Like, they really tried well, hard. They used what they had available, which is, you know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have DNA. They didn't even have fingerprints at that time. No. I mean, it wasn't like... But the fact that they documented a barefoot and a shoed foot uh-huh. in the grain and the mud outside and on the windowsill. And well, that they even thought to preserve the scene they did to be able to like see that let's keep all the people out so that they don't come yeah you know putting 
I mean, they did a great job, but it's amazing how much more evidence we have now. Right. I wonder if I wonder if they were to go Ooh. back, what they would find now. Ooh, but the house is torn down. Yeah, so so we'll there's there's no going back. Yeah. Oh, fascinating! Thank you for telling me. Oh, that. my pleasure. That's awesome. Very That's cool. Interesting. So, if you want more information about these, I'll post links to all these articles on our social media. You can find us on Twitter. At Killer Fun Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, the intersection of crime and entertainment. Or you can shoot me an email at killerfunpodcast at gmail.com and we'll hook you up with that. So um, next time we're going to look at some logic puzzles, I think. We're going to head back to elementary school logic puzzles. Let's hope it's elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I pick ones that are not particularly difficult. Oh, good, because yeah. I want to succeed at this. But yes. I like, I feel like I'm a logical person. I feel yes. like. You're great at logic. I, well, you're, you're self-proclaimed, bad at math, good at logic. And that's true. So. That's true. Oh, boy, now I'm nervous. I better do well on this. I better well, study. You don't need to study. <laughs> <laughs> you're in statistics in graduate school. I am. <laughs> so I think we'll figure it out. This will be easier than that. Well, can I bring my computer and run my statistics <laughs> program? I'll just go ahead and do a little multiple regression on some of these. <laughs> multiple regression. <laughs> that seems like overkill on the elementary school. Well, when, when they give you all those little very... Actually, I, my son was just telling me they're doing a little statistics in his fifth grade class. Really? And so um, basically it was like you have this many people and they did a survey of how many people like these different things. And so he was talking about how you to, were to do the equations to figure out portions and percentages of how many people like this, how many people like this. Um, and so it came from a logic problem. You have 1,800 guests at a wedding, and you want to find out what 1,800 guests at a wedding? I know. Don't, I don't oh. even get me started on how terrible that is, but it's a word problem. And so, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> I just started automatically went into logistics of 1,800 wedding yeah. guests and thinking about what kind of venue you have to have. And, and why, if you have 1,800 who, guests, why would you do a survey? <laughs> I mean, this is like, what, Kate Middleton's wedding? I mean, you know, you, serve, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, you yeah. know? But I, anyway, anyway, so he so had to Sorry, I digress. <laughs> figure out all these proportions so I'm talking to him about well you know what you need to visualize your data you need to put a histogram and figure out and so you can kind of see your data and we're talking about all of this stuff and I was like you know what we could put that in the computer and you know you have multiple factors and kind of see how it all kind of comes together and he was all nerding out about oh, it I love it I yes, love it so my son awesome he is absolutely your son alright so join us next time if uh, you have a hometown crime or murder or something that you'd like for us to know about just you can still go ahead and send that in and we'll absolutely shout you out and if it's like fascinating and we would still love to read it so do send it in and we'll we'll make a little time for that if we start getting those in so all right thanks so much we'll see you next time bye bye